going to call the meeting to order. <clears throat> Let's take roll call. Einan Lynch, here. Frazier. Here. Fitzsimmons. Here. Gade. Muted Jamie's online. attending remotely. Uh -huh. Here. Grim. Here. Krieger. Here. Leckband. Here. Shetty. Here. Silman. Here. Sturdevant. Here. And Walter. Here. I have everyone this time. <laughs> All right, and any staff members, can you go ahead and introduce yourselves? Gardner. Bissell. Hill. And next is approval of the minutes from May 1st, 2023. Are there any corrections or changes? If not, is there a motion to approve the minutes of May 1st, 2023? Move. I move. Fraser. Shetty seconds. All in favor? Aye. 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 <clears throat> Any opposed? All right, the motion passes. We now have time for public comment, but seeing as there are no members of the public, I will skip over that and move on to announcements. All right, so the first two, um, or the first item is action items from that May meeting. Um, we had two, one was to attach a cover memo to council calling out the recommendations for the potential use of ARPA funding. Um, that memo was included in your June packet, so you would have seen it and it was sent on to the city council prior to that. Um, and then the second action item was that working groups would meet and we'll have some updates on that a little later in the announcements. Uh, the next item is upcoming events. Um, the first of which is the Diversity Market Eco Station. Megan, would you like to tell us just a little about what that is? Yeah, so um, resource management with the city, climate action, uh, Antelope Lending Library and the Lena Project partnered together and we, um, have a table at the diversity market and we're kind of lending it out to organizations for free. So we paid for it and we're letting these organizations table at one of the days. They can provide an activity or information or whatever they would like. We're calling it Eco Station at the diversity market. The first organization was Public Space One. They had free art supplies. The second one, I believe, is Green Iowa AmeriCorps Sustainable Schools next weekend. Um, our last one is Transit, doing stuff about fare free, so it's a different organization every week. Um, the next item is Spot the Hot, as, which you may recall is our heat island mapping campaign. We actually are in now our data collection window as determined by NOAA. We just have to wait for several weather variables to line up in order to collect that data. Um, the first weekend we were looking at is this most recent past weekend. The temperatures didn't quite climb high enough for us to collect that information. So now we're going to be looking at the weekend after next, July 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. Um, at the very least, you can all 
cross your fingers that those data variables align. One of the um, potential hurdles we've run into is actually the wildfire haze from the Canadian wildfires, um, which we're expected to experience again this summer periodically, um, and we aren't able to collect data if that blows in. So. I don't, cross your fingers for high heat, no <laughs> haze, low humidity, and uh, high pressure, I think are the variables we're looking at. And if anybody would like to serve as a volunteer, we are still signing up volunteers um, because we know that we won't know until a few days ahead of time when the event is gonna take place and people's schedules change all the time. So anyone who would like to serve as a backup even as a volunteer, that would be very valuable to us and could be quite fun. Um, and we can hook you up with the training materials and such if you <coughs> are interested in that opportunity. Since that falls over the start of the county fair, I, where I will be at for many hours, I will not hope for high <laughs> temperature. Sorry. <laughs> All right, Matt. <laughs> Maybe after that. <laughs> um, the next event is coming up in August. That's Farm to Street, and that's just on here um, largely to let you know we are once again a major sponsor for that event, which of course is a fundraiser in support of local foods initiatives. This year's recipient of the fundraiser is going to be the Global Food Project, which we're quite excited about. Um, and we also, in addition to the financial support we provide for that event, we also provide staffing to help get it set up. So. <clears throat> If you want to cross your fingers for a not hot day <laughs> and be sanctioned <laughs> doing so, you can hope on our behalf we're not sweating it out setting up those tables that day. And then um, just something to have on your long range calendar, we're um, lining up uh, activities for Climate Fest and there is a small typo here. Climate Fest is gonna take place from September 18th through the 23rd, so that's a full week of events. Um, Megan's been hard at work lining up some really exciting offerings, including a celebration of our fare free transit. Some, we're trying some old popular things, some new things, and uh, one of the biggest new things we're doing this year is we're going to send out a community wide mailer. So um, you may be familiar with periodically getting a mailer from the library talking about upcoming programming. This is our effort to both <clears throat> better advertise Climate Fest and also um, just highlight some of the successes throughout the year so that whether or not someone attends, they understand what there is to celebrate in Iowa City in terms of climate action. So we're quite excited about that. Um, are there any questions about any of the upcoming events before we move on? All right. Um, and then next up, of course, we have the working group updates. Would someone from the Energy Benchmarking Working Group like to provide an update of where we're at in those discussions? Or perhaps Danny can. I know it's been a little while since we've met. Yeah, at the last meeting we um, discussed potential um, hybrid options where we can uh, bring businesses and building owners on board um, uh, on a voluntary basis um, and helping them to input their data into a portfolio manager. I'll just add that we've had some early success reaching out to a couple entities that um, are willing to pilot the efforts with us. Um, in fact, we were just talking with a church downtown in the last several weeks that said they'd be interested in serving as a church example for working on that. And so we're looking at um, incentives that we can tie to those efforts as well to help bring people on board with benchmarking. John. We also discussed, and not for the first time, and from my perspective, not the last time, 
the need to be able to monetize the value to the participants in these activities because uh, some will do it out of the goodness of their heart, but uh, most will wait until there's a positive cash flow reason for them to be involved. And so anyone that any time has any ideas about this monetization, it's, uh, I think it's critical and not only this, but all we do. Um, how about the marketing audience mapping? Megan, you want to give a little overview and anyone yeah. else in the group can jump in? Um, so we met, it's been a while. I believe it was the first week in June. Um, it was just an intro. Uh, we brainstorm audience mapping for Fair, Fair Free Iowa City. It kind of transitioned from the Goldie campaigns to Fair Free Iowa City, since that is a big undertaking. Um, we brainstorm different audiences. Everyone had kind of an assignment, and we're meeting tomorrow to discuss um, the audiences that we selected and what we came up with, and then we'll probably meet at least one more time after that. I mean, I'll just add that from a staff perspective, it was really valuable to us to have that group ready to go when we uh, got the fair free approval, um, because that will be going into effect August 1st. So we have to move pretty quickly to develop a marketing campaign, at least for the initial rollout. Um, and then the marketing uh, group is also thinking long term about some groups that we can engage. Um, so that's been really valuable, and actually some of those uh, discussion or that initial discussion has informed staff discussions on in, uh, marketing the rollout, so that's been really helpful. All right, so concludes announcements. Shall we move on to unfinished and ongoing business? The first item on this list is the Root for Trees recap, and I'm going to turn this over to Danny to talk about since he's been administering that program this year. So as you saw in your packet, um, the third year of the Root for Trees program uh, wrapped up in May. Um, we saw an increase over uh, last year. Uh, we had a total of um, 376 vouchers. Um, 24 of those vouchers were given to folks living in our Justice 40 census tracts. Uh, if you saw that uh, map in your packet, um, we've started tracking all of our programs um, uh, alongside the Justice 40 tracts um, um, as a simpler way to um, look at our efforts in um, underserved areas and because um, federal grants are tied to Justice 40. No. So, any questions um, on the Roof of Trees program? I just want to say congratulations. It's a great program. I have used it and love it. But I was wondering if there ever has been or could be programs to help uh, citizens in Iowa City take down dead trees. We have heard that a lot. Um, we did investigate that um, this year, especially with uh, many folks um, having um, ash trees mm -hmm. affected by the emerald ash borer. Um, the um, 
cost is variable and high. So uh, we didn't find it within our budget. However, um, Neighborhood Development Services does have a program that um, um, they administer uh, to help people bring um, disease trees or nuisance trees down. Great, thank That's you. That's for income qualified households. Okay, thanks. That is, this is Ina Lynch. Um, I'm also curious if we've ever thought of similar programs for um, native plantings or buffalo grass or some of those, you know, helping people switch to um, the kinds of lawns that will have deep roots and pull in water. It's kind of a, <clears throat> I would characterize it more as a pilot program now, but one of our AmeriCorps members is helping um, some Iowa City residents uh, transition at least a portion of their lawn from turf grass to uh, more native prairie plantings. All right, just to follow up on that, are they doing any additional sort of um, like data review of that, you know, just to see how it impacts? I, I guess what's the, the goal of that particular program? Um, considering it's an AmeriCorps project, um, ongoing data collection might not be possible once that AmeriCorps member leaves, but um, um, we could uh, investigate a way um, using leave-behinds or something to um, 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 track that going forward. Is there specific data you have in mind, Matt? Well, I'm, I'm wondering if Michael has the same thought, but uh, the you know, the, the benefit would be an adaptation, right, with water management, with uh, reduced toxicity, those types of things. And so I didn't know if there was something related that, there to that. You know, because the, the Root for Trees program is about canopy, heat island effect, um, those types of issues, but um, prairie plantings have kind of approached adaptation a little bit differently than, than canopy trees. So I just wondered. I can just add, it's a project for AmeriCorps, kind of his his project. Every single AmeriCorps member has to have their own project. Uh, he does, I know he has a spreadsheet of all the addresses and the plants that they planted and how large of a plot. So we have that information. Beyond that, not sure if the next team will want to carry that over or not, but we do have at least that data. And my questions are just stemming from, it's cool to see how um, how successful the Root for Trees program is becoming, and so that, that just made me start thinking of other similar types of programs that uh, we might implement. So thank you for the update. Um, before we move on, one thing we did want to point out in the memo was the inclusion of that map showing Justice 40 tracts. I know that Justice 40 is not a concept maybe that's familiar to everyone. Um, so we did want to offer just a little explanation while we're tracking that. As you heard Danny mention, um, federal grants um, related to climate um, in, are tied with Justice 40 requirements, um, part of which the overarching framework of that is the idea that 40% of benefits from this type of funding should flow to vulnerable or under-resourced community, communities. And there are specifically designated census tracts that the federal government has established. We have two of them here in Iowa City. 
Um, and so basically this is an effort to align the criteria that we are using to look at equity with the criteria being used by these federal funding opportunities um, so that we can keep our eye out on upcoming funding opportunities and already have some data in the bank, you know, if we need to demonstrate our efforts on this front to make a stronger case, for example, for getting grant funding or to um, be able just to demonstrate that we're familiar with this concept and thinking about it in our own programming. So hopefully that's a helpful explanation. Great. All right, so next up then we have the Resilience Hub pilot proposal. Um, I want to start with a big thank you to our Resilience Hub working group, which met, um, I know we had originally hoped to meet for three months, it went a little longer than that. We had a number of really productive conversations. Um, we looked at some great resources that uh, working group members brought in, and of course we had ongoing discussions with the potential recipient uh, neighborhood centers of Johnson County. Um, to talk about from a nonprofit perspective what might serve their needs, um, all of which led to the memo that was included in your packet um, outlining the proposed program. I will say we shared this memo with neighborhood centers for our neighborhood centers of Johnson County as well to get their feedback and ask you know if this aligned roughly with um, their sense of the conversations as well, just to make sure we're accurately capturing that. And um, we received very positive feedback, very enthusiastic. In particular, they liked the flexibility that it um, incorporated both a planning and an implementation phase. And I will say this was perhaps the other benefit of that working group going a little longer than expected during that time, um, the federal government released its guidance for the climate pollution reduction grants, and that also included included a planning and an implementation phase, so we were able to take that idea and apply it here. But ultimately, what that really does is allow us, instead of us coming in and saying, we know what's best for your organization and for resilience, it allows it to be much more of an effective partnership. For those of you who are familiar with Arnstein's ladder of um, engagement, it moves it significantly higher on the ladder, so that's exciting. Um, but of course, we want to bring it to the group as a whole before we roll it out and get any additional feedback. Um, so yeah, I'd like to open the floor and take any comments you'd like to share. I guess my, one of my questions was, so there's a one year, the first year is the planning year is the intended that the for the following two years that it the implementation happens like the, the dollars are provided each year for the same program or that it's provided one of those two years the idea, I think, is that we would provide $10,000 or up to $10,000 during year one for planning activity, and then year two and year three would both get $50,000. So it's essentially a $110,000 program. And part of the reason we wanted to do that, especially in our discussions with the group, was to make it a meaningful amount of money, you know, something that if you wanted to do 
solar panels, you could really have a big chunk of change to work with um, so that one of the things we've seen and learned, I think, from our climate uh, climate action grants is, you know, we often get grants, those are capped at $10,000. We get those grant requests, and that can buy a handful of panels, but the nonprofits that have applied for them have then engaged in other fundraising. And that would still be an option for anybody participating in the Resilience Hub, um, but this just makes it, I think, a little more in reach to get the size of panels they might need, or if they wanted a geothermal system or batteries or, you know, some project that we haven't been able to imagine but they have in mind. Um, it's not just a token amount of, of money, it's real funding that can be sustained over the course of multiple years. Well. Two years. So, the, so then the split, the splitting of the funding over two implementation years, is a way to help manage the cost from the city's perspective as well. Is that yes. the thought? Okay. It's a little to help manage the cost, and it's also um, a little to help um, if they go down one path and they'd like to do two different projects. They're not roped okay. into just one. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. My question was along the same lines. I was, I was a little confused about uh, whether there was one approval for the total amount of money or if we had to renew uh, after year one or two or three and find out that we weren't approved for the second year or the third year, it would really interrupt the momentum in our planning. But once we're approved, it's a done deal for the whole amount for the whole th three years? Yes, um, and it's not a blank check. The intention is that climate action staff would continue to be involved. We would be assisting with the planning process and we'd be providing regular updates on the projects to these commission so that there's accountability in it as well. But, um, you know, part of being able to plan, and we know this from just planning city programs, is you want to be able to count on that money, right, so that you can plan ahead and not get halfway down the road of a project and suddenly realize you don't have the funding for it. My concern from the very beginning, and a positive concern, was to invest in something that if it went well, we could continue to ride it, promote it, and grow it. And that's why I'm excited about this, because this sounds like something that's worthy of building year after year mm -hmm. to the point that it's a much larger program by the time uh, all of us are done with it. Mm -hmm. Do you see that follow-up possibility after three years? Of continuing to fund the same organization or to uh, grow with other organizations? Well, the whole the whole resilience hub theory mm -hmm. of continuing that. I mean, to, to use an example, and I apologize, I don't want to bring up uh, bicycles, but um, we could buy more and more bicycles if the bicycle project worked. Uh, but I see a lot more potential for increasing the number of resilience hubs or the size of the resilience hubs so that we triple and quadruple those efforts longer term with more funding. And now we've, and we can do that because we built a solid foundation mm -hmm. the first couple of years. That's why I love, love this uh, program. Oh. Well, that's great. I'm glad that you're feeling positively about it as well. I mean, yes, our intention is not to establish one resilience hub and be like, check that box. Um, the idea is that it's also a learning and growing opportunity for us as we feel our way through it. And that would be, of course, the other reason for the climate action staff to stay involved with this initial pilot effort um, with the hopes that we can learn from um, rolling it out with this first agency and then grow it and offer it to other agencies. And you'll see even in the success metric 
metrics for the third year, I believe we wrote something in there about other organizations would be contacting us or we would be identifying other organizations that we could partner with to serve as additional resilience hubs. Can you, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, this is Michelle Silman. And one of the things under the success um, benchmarks in year one that I saw was the home resilience kit starter packs. And I'm sure you probably don't know exactly what those would be, but I was just wondering, is that, did you envision that as being the, um, you know, the items that under emergency supplies or what sort of thing would that be? This is actually an outgrowth from the Climate Resilience Corps efforts that we did, which was our first baby step toward uh, res establishing resilience hubs. Um, and a part of that process was that the Climate Resilience Corps members, as you might remember, went out and talked to neighbors and then came back and used those conversations to identify what would go in the kits. So roughly, yes, there are some emergency supplies and certainly we would be getting the, the conversation by talking about here's what we've seen in these kits that have been previously delivered to households, but there's some flexibility there too for the Resilience Hub to say, well, in our neighborhood or with our clients, what we're seeing the needs are is maybe Maybe, well, everybody's all excited from those kits, I would say, about the solar-powered cell phone chargers, right? <laughs> so I don't imagine they're going away. But maybe they'll say, in our neighborhood, we don't need storage containers for water as much as we need can openers or flashlights or what have you. Um, and so the kits, I think, will grow out of those conversations the same way they did for the Climate Resilience Corps. So do the kits go to homes then, or are they, are they at the Resilience Hub, or how does it work? It could be both. Um, it, the, it could, um, depending on the direction they want to go, and certainly when we did it with the Climate Resilience Corps, there was a door-to-door -door effort to drop off these kits, um, sort of like a mini blitz, similar to our energy blitz. Um, it could be that the organization says we want to deliver them in the same way. The participants in our Climate Resilience Corps are going to deliver them to their neighbors, but we also want to have additional kits here at the center or um, at our nonprofit to hand out as people need them, and we'll work with them on that. Just from having been in some uh, a variety of different, like, emergency-type situations, like Cedar Rapids during derecho in Des Moines when there was the flood and we had no water. You know, having the stuff available at the time of the emergency mm -hmm. um, is, oh, and then Cedar Rapids for the flood, too. It's just like that's when, you know, it's like... To me, that seems like that's when it's really important to have that, when everybody's in crisis mode to have some stuff available at that time. Mm -hmm. Just seems to me like that makes the most sense. Mm -hmm. Thank you, we appreciate that feedback. Sarah, can you remind us, I, I know we won't know for a while, but I'm wondering when we will know about the ARPA funding from the last meeting when we said one of our recommendations would be mm -hmm. um, spending that money on the Resilience Hub program. Mm -hmm. Do we have any sense of when that, when we might know? Um, well, as a- hey, Can I cut in here quick, like yeah. with the question that was just asked? I was wondering if the, the Justice 40, does that cover 
it, it kind of ties into that question too. That was my question. If the Justice 40 initiative covers any of that, because it is one of those that seems really open funding wise. Could you, could you clarify the question, Gabe? Are you asking if the household served will be in a Justice 40 track or if Justice 40 will fund the program? Like, kind of, yeah. Does, is the Justice 40 funding, you know, are there descriptions as to what it will and won't cover? All right, well, okay, or thank you for clarifying. Co completely covering it. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, my my audio keeps cutting in and out, so it it might cut out. So. Well, um, just to be clear, there is no specific funding tied to Justice Forty initiatives. Um, Justice Forty is an equity measure that's being used in federal in other federal funding projects. Um, so. We wouldn't necessarily expect funding from that, though there may be federal funding that we could tap into and would need to report on the Justice 40 connections to it. But I think a project like this. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we had the lights go dim. Um, I think a project like this, aimed at serving vulnerable populations certainly would be an excellent candidate for anything that has a Justice 40 component tied to it as a funding opportunity, if that makes sense. Yeah, all right. Um, in response to the ARPA question, just as a reminder, um, we don't necessarily expect to get ARPA funding. Um, there are other projects that are already in the pipeline that um, will likely receive that funding and use up the remaining ARPA dollars first. Um, the city council asked us to consider that question as kind of a, a gut check, and of course it's helpful for staff too to know where our funding priorities are. So that's a long-winded way of saying we don't know when we'll find out. Um, it depends on those other programs when they reach their terminus and have all the funding they need. Um, but we have designed this program to not count on that funding. But we'd love it if we got it. <laughs> Anything else? I can't, I can't remember if it was in here. Was there a goal number of CBOs? Well, for the pilot, um, we'll just work with just one, one okay. to feel our way through, and then we'll grow it from there. Okay. But I will say one of the nice things is um, we, of course, we've been in conversation with NCJC about this and anticipate them signing on for the pilot program, and they have two locations currently and have a third in the planning. So this actually comes at a really great time for them as well, because as they're thinking about that new facility, it's a chance to think about building resilience measures and programming into it. And just by virtue of working with this one organization, we'll have coverage in three different areas of the town. So it's a three for one deal in some ways. And they've just been great. Hey, Sarah, you said NCJC, right? Yes. Okay, okay, thank you. Um, and they've been really great and generous with their feedback and their thoughts on this program. So that's been very helpful without knowing how much money we were going to attach to it, I should say that. 
All right, seeing uh, no further comments, um, I think it probably would be helpful for the record just to take a vote to approve to move forward on this. Would anybody like to move to do so? I move to um, go forward with the vote. Michelle Silman. Krieger seconds. Mike Band second. Third. So was that a move to vote or a move to Approved move forward with the pilot? Uh, what do we need? <laughs> <laughs> I move to move forward with the pilot. <laughs> Do we still have your second, Jesse? Yes, black man second. <laughs> Great. Great. All in favor of moving forward with the Resilience Hub pilot proposal? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Okay, the motion passes. Great. Thank you all for your support for this exciting program. We'll be looking forward to bringing you updates as it rolls out. And updates on the adaptation plan, climate action and adaptation plan. Yeah, um, we are past due on this one. We, our intention is to provide these quarterly and we've had to uh, push them back because of our full agendas, which is a good thing to ha be so busy. But this is now covering six months of climate action activity, which is quite a lot. So we know it's a little lengthier than you've seen before. Um, just as we did with the last time we looked at this, what I'd like to do is just give everybody a few minutes to read through the summary document. And then if you have any questions about any specific ones, if you would call them out, we'd be happy to go into more detail about any of them. Um, so I was wondering about the enhanced energy standards for city rehabilitation projects, something that I just don't know a lot about. It's a great question. Thanks, Michelle. Um, so the city has, the city receives funding to update um, building stock here. Uh, lately, it's focused on our South District neighborhood um, program where the city purchases properties, rehabilitates them, and then puts them back on the market. Um, we have been adding climate dollars to the federal dollars that support that fund funding. And as a result, we've been able to add several climate interventions to um, the homes. There were two in particular, and this refers to the second of the two properties that we updated a few years ago, um, yeah, actually, well, a couple years ago. 
Um, so we did things like put in heat pumps, um, high energy efficiency windows and doors. We added solar panels on the roofs of both of these projects. They were also then used in the Women's Confidence course through um, Kirkwood, so that they there were some building skills that were taught through the rehabbing efforts, um, and we put in some climate-friendly native landscaping on the outside of the buildings. Um, the first one sold late last year. The second one was finally completed and ready to be put on the market earlier this year, and it has now sold as well. And we're told there are two, uh, two very happy families living in both of those, um, enjoying the solar energy and the low energy bills from all the equipment that was put in. So a great program. Yeah, actually, I had a follow-up question on that. Remind me, were we, I think there was this, um, it wasn't, I think, part of the program to start with, but we're not doing sort of a, a pre-analysis, post-analysis on energy use, correct? Correct. It's a little tricky for those two properties um, because we came in at the, um, at Part of the reason we acquired them is one of them had been gutted by a fire. Um, and so the residents were already living out of it and we didn't have data to compare. But there are several other properties in this program and we have done, sent our AmeriCorps team in for each of them to gather the data ahead of the rehabilitation efforts. So for the remaining projects, we will be able to have pre and post data to look at. Um, just in terms of the energy exchanges in the building and what have you. Um, and we'll be able um, to take, we'll be able to request utility data before and after for those if we so choose. So that'll be great too, since we're the owners of those properties now, it's easier to get that information. Are you overwhelmed by six months of work? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it's always satisfying, I will say to me, when I type up this list to see it get a little longer each time. Remind me, what is the, what is the term again for the Granada AmeriCorps group? What, what does that, does it run on the calendar year? I can't remember. It, um, so they start at the end of September and then in okay. the middle of August is when they end. Okay. It kind of fluctuates like a week here and there, but our team will be done August 31st this year. The energy audits actually can't be done in the last, the final six weeks or so of their terms usually because you need a big enough temperature differential between the exterior of the house and the interior to be able to get accurate readings. So um, the high temperatures, which will again be great for our heat island <laughs> mapping efforts, um, will make it difficult for AmeriCorps to conduct audits. And this was the first full year that they were back in doing the audits, is that right? No, they, so they only quit for a few months during COVID. Okay. Right. Um, the, because my last term with AmeriCorps was actually in 2020, 2021, and we did audits. There were just, whenever it was spiked really high, we, we didn't go on them for a while. 
It's not included in this update in part because this was pulled together for June and we just got this update last week, but we've been in discussion with the county about um, collaborating next year um, to bring on an additional member to the team so that we can provide these audit services throughout the county and not just in Iowa City alone. Um, our thinking behind this, there are several things that led up to this discussion, one of which is that we, um, we always receive requests for folks um, living in the outlying area around Iowa City, and also we often get requests from University Heights residents to come and perform energy audits, and we aren't able to do that as long as it's just Iowa City tax dollars supporting the team. But um, because the county has agreed to contribute money to help support the team next year, that will allow us to send it out to all the county residents, which is great. It's tapping into our experience as a well-established Green Iowa AmeriCorps program. Um, in fact, in this last year, we found out <laughs> that we performed like the predominant number of uh, energy audits in the state by a pretty wide margin. Pretty, like, like almost all of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So we've got a very mature program. We've got a way of advertising it to residents that clearly works. Um, and this is an ability for the county, instead of having to reinvent the wheel, to just provide some material support and uh, tap into those successes. And of course, as we know, and as we always discuss, like if Iowa City did everything right, but we were just a perfect little climate bubble, that does not matter to climate change. We will still feel the effects of climate impacts regardless. So to be able to get the word out about energy efficiency and help provo provide these services for our neighbors is just a great effort that ultimately serves Iowa City's goals as well. And as we'll soon be discussing, um, with uh, our acceptance of the uh, Climate Pollution Reduction Grant funds, um, we're going to be undertaking a regional climate action plan. Um, <laughs> And so this is just a great step in collaborating in that direction. So a lot of nice momentum here. And what was the, do we know the stats yet for number of audits this year compared to like pre-COVID? You know, have they um, been up? So our AmeriCorps team has actually outdone all previous AmeriCorps teams so okay. far. Um, everyone has hit about 100 even with COVID. This one, it's 130-ish right now, and they still have it, um, some on the calendar. Okay, great. Part of that's because, you know, we're paying to have all our members BPI certified, whereas other, other teams only get two members able to do that. Um, so we're able to send out teams pretty regularly, which is great. And it's great for them. It's a great green jobs building credential. Does it make you want to cry to know that most of the audits in the state were performed here <laughs> and it's 130 audits? <sighs> Which is why a regional approach to climate action sounds like a great idea too. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. <laughs> is This is Sturdivan. Is there a, like a specific reason for that? Is it just, I mean, you know, since Ames is smaller or... I mean, not that it matters, but are we just that far ahead of everything else? Or is there a, a reason that there, it's not done in other cities? 
um, as much. So good question. Um, not all cities have an AmeriCorps team. That's part of it. There's only a few teams hosted that do audits throughout Iowa. Unfortunately, zero in Northwest Iowa at the moment. They are trying to, to get up there. Uh, that, so that's part of it. Another part is, like Sarah said, not all of them are BPI certified. And then a really big part is actually we had a full team of four members and all of the other teams did not. So that that's another part. And that they're trying to look into figuring out why um, they can't recruit more AmeriCorps members. Long story short, um, staffing is probably the biggest reason. Yes, John. And that that makes uh, a lot of sense because I was actually looking at AmeriCorps when I was in school and it, I wondered why there were so many openings up in Northwestern Iowa. I never associated like they don't have anybody up there with, you know, yeah. So thank you. Mm -hmm. I would uh, politely, maybe inappropriately, but politely suggest that uh, part of it's because we're in Johnson County which is a different state than Western Iowa, politically. And we have that challenge ahead of us too. And that's something we can't stop thinking about. And it's easy to stop thinking about it because it seems to be an unsurmountable barrier. And it will be unsurmountable as long as we don't make an effort to appropriately, properly, politely, continue our educational efforts outside of our own region. And we need to do that. We'd find in other states that there are more communities involved than there are in Iowa. And part of the reason is, unfortunately, politics and climate denial. I was looking back at the overall summary. BI-6, which is the building permit, fee rebate no. was that the update you were because there was a summer 2023 launch target is that the home builders so the, the hba program yes we are um coordinating with the hba on that one this so this relates um this is an initiative that we haven't been able to roll out successfully up till now um, we've been having a lot of discussions leading up to it, trying to figure out where the pinch points were in the past, um, where we're out. We've, actually, this is another one that we've recently had some uh, success in moving forward. The first is noted in here that we figured out to tie it to the HERS rating. Mm -hmm. This actually goes back to the realtor engagement event we sponsored earlier this year, which I think put HERS ratings on a lot more radars than they had been before. Um, what a HERS rating does is allows us to get some uh, outside verification mm -hmm. of the kinds of building interventions we're looking for, um, which is just to be perfectly frank, beyond the expertise of our climate action staff, right? So there's somebody with expertise that we can tap into that can provide that verification for us. And there's interest in it now because a lot of area realtors and um, some of whom are builders or many of whom are tied to builders have heard about it and are thinking about how to market it to their clients. Um, what we'd like to do, I, the other thing we realized in these discussions is that 
a building <clears throat> permit fee rebate is actually very difficult to initiate because those rebates are complex in how they're calculated for each building um, project. And those permit fees actually pay the staff wages of the people who are administering them. So if you rebate it, you need a way to have backfill it in order to continue to have staff who are reviewing those permit applications regardless, right? So one of the ways we figured out to move forward on this is, um, and you'll see this when we bring the fully formed proposal forward, is we're just gonna eliminate the permit fee rebate um, language entirely and call it an energy efficiency award. Um, um, because we'll be offering it essentially as a grant to anybody who builds to this higher standard and gets a HERS rating. Um, we've tied it to a HERS rating of 55 or better based on programs we've seen in other cities and our research on it. We also realized in our conversations with the uh, HBA that if we called it a building permit rebate fee, um, that triggers a lot of negative associations, one. And there was a concern that um, because there's a fee you have to pay to get the HERS rating, um, that we're asking people to try to get a HERS rating regardless of whether or not they're gonna get this fee back to them, right? And so there would be some reluctance in participating. Whereas if we call it an award, it sort of sidesteps that whole conversation and gets us to where we wanna be, which is providing incentives to build to a higher energy code standard. Um, in addition to outlining this program, um, in our conversations with HBA, we talked about ways we could partner on the Parade of Homes next year more effectively. And one of the proposals um, they had, which we were just very enthusiastic about, was asking every entry into the Parade of Homes to get a HERS rating mm -hmm. as a way to showcase that um, particular standard. And then providing an award at the HBA banquet um, to the home that achieves the lowest mm -hmm. HERS score. HERS, it turns out, is like golf. The lower the score, the better. Yep. Um, so that's another way of sort of promoting this pr uh, project and recognizing someone and creating a kind of fun competitive element to it, which I know we've talked about before, how do we tap into competitive programs effectively. So I think this one's been a long time in development, but um, all of those conversations, again, are paying off. We've really built some nice connections in the community that I think are gonna help make it a successful program and we'll be excited to be rolling it out here in the next, hopefully by the end of the year. Yeah. Great, thank you. That's a great example, I'll just say, sometimes these programs feel impossible until suddenly they're not. And then it's <laughs> like, not only is it not impossible, amazing things you never dreamed of are available, so. That's great. Which is why collaboration with community partners and getting that feedback's critical, right? Yeah, exactly. And it shows how like one program can, a success in one area can lead to another. Like had we not initiated those realtor conversations, we would not be here discussing this form of the pro program today. So it's just, uh, it's great all around. It's nice to see work continue to scaffold like that. I was wondering. This is Sturvis. Um, I I agree. I talked to a few real estate friends, and they went through that program, and they said it was way more informative than what they had expected. 
they they expected something kind of less than what was presented um but they said it was amazing to go through the process this is selman and i was wondering about the um the scaling of the current mattress recycling pilot program to serve all residents um I'm not familiar with the mattress recycling pilot program, and so I was just wondering, you know, what that's about and what the scaling is, you know, how that will work. Um, actually, this is a great question to keep in mind for next month when Jane Wilch, our recycling coordinator, will be joining us um, because she can speak to it in a lot more detail. She's actually been the mastermind behind designing that program. Um, mattresses are difficult items for us to landfill for a variety of reasons. You know, part of effective landfill engineering is being able to compact everything that goes in it. Uh, if you try to imagine a backhoe compacting a mattress, Matt is right to laugh. <laughs> you know, it's a, they're difficult on a number of levels. And there are valuable materials in mattresses, specifically the steel springs have a high recycle um, potential. The difficulty, of course, is that mattresses come in all different shapes and sizes. Um, you're increasingly seeing programs that used to pick up, not here, but in other communities, mattresses no longer doing so out of concern for bed bugs, for example. So there's a lot of thought that had to go into this program design. But essentially, under this program, um, as I understand it, uh, we've partnered with an organization um, in Cedar Rapids. We actually had wanted to get this program up and running um, and then the derecho took the roof off of the organization, uh, which set it back as they repaired. But they are now able to take the mattresses on. They have trained um, their staff to deconstruct the mattresses and separate out the material that can be recycled from the material that can't. And um, based on that sort of learning curve, which as I understand it in early days, um, the goal is eventually to scale it up so that all the mattresses we collect would be sent to it. But Jane would have far more detail on it. Let's um, all make a note to ourselves to bring it up when she comes next month. This is Ayn Lynch. I had a question. This wasn't in the summary, but in the whole plan. Um, the local procurement item, I just noticed there were some things sort of projecting out to 2024, and I didn't write down exactly what it said. But I was just curious to hear an update on um, on that item. And the I know Beyond Plastics has been a challenge. And maybe this is also one to hold for Jane. Um, but I'm curious how, th how those projects are going and how you're seeing that move into 2024. Um, Megan, would you like to provide a few updates on this? I know you've been doing some of the research as we try to find, this is another one where, you know, I think we're looking at some avenues and when we reach a roadblock, we try to look at alternatives and Megan will be able to give us the best update. Yeah, um, not a huge update. I have just reached out to some people just to review their policy. So like Becky Soglin uh, sent me uh, the county's file. Um, we are tapped into um, USDN's network and they there was actually a question very similar about um, procurement um, in regards to city um, 
department's purchasing. And so there were some documents and some resources on there. So I've just been gathering some resources. That's all I have at the moment. It kind of got pushed to a back burner when Spot the Hot, <laughs> um, we won the grant. So that's all I have. Any other questions? Not really a question. I just want to say congrats to the city for on the transportation side, the switching to the free fares and the grants that are coming through for the electric buses. That's just great news all around, and I'm, I'm very proud of what the, the city is doing. So thank you. We move on to new business. Well, speaking of exciting news, um, <laughs> for us at least, some of you may have been following along with the Climate Pollution Reduction Grant opportunity. Um, this is a pot of money that was um, developed under the Inflation Reduction Act. And just to give you a little background on it, um, initially the funding was offered to all 50 states and the 64 largest metropolitan statistical areas in the US. So 50 states and 64 biggest cities, essentially, plus their outlying areas. Um, 46 states accepted the funding. We happened to be in a state that did not. Hmm. Um, when that happened in March, when the state officially turned down the funding, the $3 million that was originally allocated to Iowa to develop a statewide climate action plan was divided into three smaller pots of a $1 million each, and those were offered to the three largest MSAs in um, Iowa. We are not one of the largest MSAs. <laughs> We're a larger one. Um, but when we saw this happening, um, in part because we had already been collaborating uh, with Cedar Rapids on Spot the Hot and had been looking at other ways we could collaborate, we said, wouldn't it be great if we could work together to develop a regional climate action plan? Um, and so we came up with a plan to do exactly that. Um, knowing that Cedar Rapids wa was in line to receive the million dollars. When another um, entity in the state turned down their million dollar pot, that money then flowed to Iowa City. So now Iowa City has a million dollars and Cedar Rapids has a million dollars for their MSAs, um, which in this case for Iowa City includes all the communities within Johnson County and Washington County. And in uh, Cedar Rapids, it includes Lynn County. Um, oh, I'm going to get their list wrong. That's, I'm such a terrible partner in this respect. <laughs> um, Lynn County and some adjacent counties. Um, but basically, the, the corridor area, our entire commute shed will be covered by this. And this is just 
fantastic news on a couple levels. One, as we've discussed, these regional collaborations are so key in developing effective climate actions, right? If we look at um, that commute shed, you know, there's more heavy industry in Cedar Rapids than there is in Iowa City. In Iowa City, we have more knowledge workers who are commuting longer distances to come to us. And so coming up with a plan that addresses all of these things um, will just help us all be more effective in what we want to do. In addition, and this is the part that's really critical, a million dollars in some ways is a lot of money and in other ways isn't, you know, compared to the many billions of dollars available under the entire uh, Climate Pollution Reduction Grant program. Um, in order to access those other dollars, you have to have developed two specific plans using a planning grant. And so by virtue of getting these planning dollars, we will be able to develop those two plans, which will then make us eligible for federal funding for continued projects. So things that we've looked at in the past, just as an example, the methane capture feasibility study we did a couple years ago, where we determined it wasn't financially viable for Iowa City under its own steam. Um, should we choose to include it, in our priority uh, climate action plan. It will then be eligible to apply for competitive grants under the Climate Pollution Reduction Grant Program, which I swear to you I wish had a, a shorter or easier to say name. But CPRG, um, Basically, this is an opportunity for us to pull projects like that out of our existing plan, put it into a priority plan, and then hoist the flag to the federal government and say, send us your dollars. We've got ways to use them. We have thought this through. So. Where we are at in this process now is we put up our hand. We said we would like to take the money. We are partnering with ECCOG which is a council of governments that serves both the Cedar Rapids and Iowa City area um, to serve as the lead entity that will receive the dollars. And what this essentially means is it's really that they are going to meet the federal accounting requirements. So it takes some of the burden off of our staff to have to um, do that work. Um, they're also going to help us contract for a contractor to come in and help with some of the technical aspects that are required under this program. Um, there, up till now, as you know, we've been maintaining um, a greenhouse gas emissions inventory. The Climate Pollution Reduction Grant Program requires that you also account for carbon sinks in the community. So we'd like to bring in some technical expertise to help with that. There's also a green jobs development component for um, the second plan that we'll have to develop under it. And so we'd like to tap into some expertise there. Uh, that's not something that we've done a lot with in the past. Um, so very exciting stuff. They, uh, we've been working very closely with ECCOG and the other entities involved, um, Johnson County and Lynn County and Cedar Rapids, to send off a proposed budget to the uh, uh, EPA, the Environmental Protective Protection Agency, which is administering this particular program. Um, we just got word at the end of last week that they um, have sent back some comments on our work plan and our budget, um, which by and large looks like they're going to accept it. They're just asking for us to tableize some things and make some minor tweaks just to make it easier for them to account and review. Um, and then we'll be given the green light to begin our planning activities. So that's super exciting. And 
it means work for you. <laughs> um, the first step in this project is to develop what uh, they're calling the Priority Climate Action Plan, and that is um, basically a review of existing climate action plans for the area that identifies projects that would benefit from federal funding. So as a first step, I and the Cedar Rapids um, sustainability manager are gonna sit down with our existing plans and pull out the items that we think should go into this priority climate action plan. Um, in addition, uh, Lynn County and Johnson County, even though they don't have formal climate action plans of their own, they do have some internal documents that guide some of their sustainability and climate activities. Um, they're gonna go through those documents and contribute items as well. And then we're going to share them out with the larger metropolitan statistical area to say, what of these things um, would make sense for your community? What would you like to include as well? Um, and in particular, what we really want want to have an eye toward our um, projects that we can collaborate on. Since Iowa doesn't have a statewide plan and is a bit of an outlier in that way, we want to have an eye toward things that other communities might be able to participate in, similar to our EV readiness plan where we were able to work with other communities. Um, even if they aren't included necessarily in the planning area, they may still be able to participate in an effort for which we could secure funding, which would be exciting. Um, we, when we perform this desktop review, are going to come to you as the Climate Action Commission and ask you to review it as well to make sure that we are picking up on the things that we think truly do belong in the plan. Um, and also, some things may need clarification, right? Um, one of the things we found as we've worked our way through the Climate Action Plan is it has items that, like, let's just take the very first one that says promote energy efficiency and performance tips to the public, right? Um, that kind of engagement may not necessarily benefit from federal dollars, but if we wanted to say, be more specific and say develop a heat pump rebate program for uh, participating communities. That's something we could go after federal dollars for. Um, and so we might ask you to help us drill down a little and think through the specifics of what goes in. Um, and this is sort of, in some ways we've been primed by our ARPA discussion um, to dream big, um, knowing that we're not gonna get funding for everything, but we won't get funding for anything that doesn't go in, so we wanna like, cast a wide and specific net, if, which sometimes is at odds with each other, but we're gonna work through it. So, um, we'll be working with you over the course of the next year. That priority ac uh, climate action plan is due to the EPA um, roughly by April of next year, so we've gotta move very quickly on it, um, which is where we're so grateful for all the work that's come before and the fact that we do have an existing climate action plan to draw upon. A year after we turn in the uh, Priority Climate Action Plan, or the PCAP, we'll be asked to submit the Comprehensive Climate Action Plan, or the CCAP. And that's the plan that's going to include things like the carbon sinks accounting and the green jobs goals for the region. Um, and obviously, that's going to involve a much more extensive planning process. Um, so one of the things we'd really like to do is get through the PCAP as efficiently as possible so we can get a jump start on planning the CCAP.
Um, simultaneously with developing the CCAP, once the PCAP is developed, we'll be able to start applying for some of those federal implementation dollars. So as we're identifying those projects, we want to also be thinking what are the key ones we really want to ask for funding for right away. Um, once we get both of those submitted to the feds, that'll be great. Um, we'll have basically a one-year period where we can see how things are rolling out, and then we'll have to develop a, um, um, a report to talk about how much progress we've made on these goals since the development of the PCAP. And that's the part of this process we know the least about because it hasn't really been, there just hasn't been information put together. Like so much under the Inflation Reduction Act, um, they're moving very quickly. They're developing programs that have never existed before. Um, there's been far more collaboration with the participating entities than I've ever seen from a federal programming before, which, as we know from our own engagement efforts, right, is both difficult to do but really important. And so I just... I just want to tip my hat to all the faceless uh, federal employees who've been working so hard to really get the Inflation Reduction Act programs up and running. Um, they've had a tall task ahead of them. So that's far more information than you had in the memo, but we wanted to really give you a broad overview as this project we anticipate is really going to occupy a lot of our efforts for the next four years. Um, and we'll be uh, tapping into you um, and your knowledge and expertise to help us shape that as we move forward. Um, are there any questions at this time? Yes, John. Uh, I've got about three comments. First, I'm absolutely shocked that our governor would turn down $3 million for climate action. Uh, that's amazing. Number two, I am so grateful to you and whoever else had their antenna up and were aware of this. I'd love to know the backstory on this. Who went, oh, by the way, I just saw this, and what can we do? Somebody did, and thank you to that person or that team. And the last question, what are your deadlines for the initial uh, climate action plans, the uh, priority plan, the, the P cap, the C cap, et cetera, et cetera? Um, we just know rough ones right now. It's uh, April 2023 for the P cap and uh, probably April 2024 for the C cap. I mean, 2024, 2024, 25. 25. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> 24, 25. Oh my God. So many programs, so many acronyms. <laughs> um, when we get our, our more detailed feedback, when our work plan is accepted by the EPA and we're given the green light to go forward, we'll have more detailed dates to be able to offer you. And we'll keep you apprised as we move through that. We'll be giving regular updates essentially from this point going forward. Uh, my applause to whoever figured this out because this is way cool. I did have a question. So um, one of the priorities, it sounds like, will be green jobs. Do we know what some of the other, and greenhouse gas emission reductions, but do we know if there are any other uh, major priorities? That's, so as we think about the programs and things that we might want to prioritize, you know, those might float to the top, you know, like number of people impacted, or well, I don't know what those other metrics might be. Yeah. Um, this is not going to come as a surprise. There's a Justice 40 component mm -hmm. to it. Um, so that's part of our thinking ahead and identifying those areas. Um, I There is a 
chart that I can bring that talks about what are the required elements for the PCAP and what are required for the CCAP. Why don't I put that on our actionable items for next month to include that in the packet so you can be thinking at they're a little, they're at once technical and kind of broad. I think a lot of this we're just going to be feeling our way through. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's an excellent question okay. as we think ahead. Do you think um, that you brought up the methane study, like maybe it's time to pull that back out. Um, do you think there are similar opportunities with the solar study, that there might be things from that study that would be worth readdressing? Um, I'd have to take a look at the solar study again. A lot of the solar study was about identifying regulatory barriers. Um, you know, in particular, there was an emphasis on community solar, and until we have net metering enabled by the state, we're a little limited in what we can do there. But there would be solar opportunities broadly, maybe not tied to that specific study, but other initiatives we have. Um, we're already tapping into federal dollars under the Inflation Reduction Act as we look to put solar panels out at the airport. Um, and one of the things that we've been discussing internally flowing from the 24-7 discussions last year is what it would take to um, get all of city operations to 100% renewable energy. Um, we've been sort of quietly laying some groundwork there um, to, to think how, just how we might approach that. Um, and so that might be something we could pull forward um, in particular, looking at something like, um, and actually this <laughs> feels like all things lead to wastewater, but they're a huge energy user for the city, you know, looking at the possibility of putting solar panels out at the wastewater treatment plant um, might be a great thing to include in this plan. Did you see the movie Nuclear that I talked about by any chance? No. Uh, and the reason I bring it up, I'll restate and I'll have my facts wrong, that we can only go so far with renewables mm -hmm. that somewhere along the way somebody's going to have to start relobbying for nuclear. Not everyone in the room may believe that, but I certainly do after seeing that movie. And it's not either or. I think it's a both and. Mm -hmm. Long term, we need to be lobbying for the tough stuff while we're working. Not that renewables are easy, but they're relatively easier and more attainable right now than nuclear. But unfortunately, uh, again, we're back to politics and we're back to the fossil fuel industry who doesn't want to talk about that until they get every ounce of their money out of the ground. And then and only then will they be willing to talk about it. Mm. So. Anytime we get extra funds, I'd, I'd love to see just a teeny bit, a paragraph being spent somewhere talking to the right people about other options that we're going to long-term need. Because mm -hmm. we set world records the last week, you know, highest temperature in the world, highest mean temperature in the world one day and then higher the next day. And I don't know if anyone's listening. I know this group is preaching the choir here, mm -hmm. but oh my God, I'm afraid no one's gonna listen until after the 24 elections, mm -hmm. and then after the next elections, and then after the next elections. Mm -hmm. 
And the biggest thing we can do and our counterparts around the country is to be that grinding chalk on the blackboard voice that just won't let people forget that we can't wait. Again, I'm preaching to the choir. No, much appreciated and noted. Was Remind me, was um, our adaptation measures part of the options, opportunities as well? I believe they'd be worth worth putting in as well. You know, the other thing that's so nice about this timing is our accelerated action plan really goes through plan uh, items that we want to implement in 2025, at which point our own plan would really be due for thinking about what works, what doesn't, you know, how do we update the plan for the future. So what this essentially is doing is it's going to allow us to substitute a regional plan for that effort and to take everything we've learned so far and what we've been able to implement and what we haven't. Um, and bring it forward. And so because it's going to stand in for a new climate action plan for the city, there's no reason why we shouldn't include adaptation. You know, even if it doesn't get federal funding, it's still worth articulating those goals in the plan. And I, I doubt Cedar Rapids would disagree. <laughs> you mentioned, uh, you know, the other communities in the um, metropolitan area. Have you had any conversations, initial conversations with others, like in Washington County or? Um, I myself have not had them necessarily in Washington County. We have been engaging through the Sustainability Working Group of Johnson County with um, some of our neighboring communities that way. And I know that ECCOG um, has been notifying their members of the opportunity and communicating with them. So word is trickling out. Um, we have... <laughs> A little bit, we'd like to have a little more robust guidance from the EPA to know how we're going to move forward so that it's not a, like, get excited and wait scenario, particularly for these communities that haven't been engaged with climate action planning in the past. Um, but we are hearing um, some, I would say, nice indicators of interest from uh, our neighboring communities in participating, which is good. Um, this is Sturdivant. Can you, so is the, the fund, I'm, I'm probably really confused on this, but so the million dollars and then what, what we do with that is tied to future funding, like through the grants and things like, do they have to see what we do or can you run, run it by me again? Like yeah. the million dollars tied to future funding? Yeah, of course. Um, it is confusing. Um, so it's a million dollars, which is a lot of money and sounds like a lot of money. Um, if you consider that that million dollars is supposed to be spread over four years, that's $250,000 per year for uh, planning activities, some of which is quite technical. Um, so we will be able to spend it and handily. Um, it is strictly for planning activities. Um, we can't do implementation, so we can't buy a solar panel with this funding, but we can develop a plan saying, here's where we'd like solar panels to go, or this is how many solar panels we think would meet this need in the community. And then using that plan, um, we can then apply for competitive grants under the same program, um, which is a much, much larger pot of money 
the difference being um, we just had to put our hand up and say, yes, we would like this money, please and thank you for the planning grants. For the competitive grants, we'll have to make a case as to why we should get this money and a different community or a different region should not. Um, and that's where having a plan is both helpful, um, but also just brass tacks a requirement um, to apply for those funds. As I often like to point out, um, the federal government rarely says, here's a bunch of money, go have fun, kids, right? They want to see that you have a plan for how it's going to be used, that you've accounted for things like environmental impact and equitable impact. Um, and so essentially, they're doing exactly what we're doing with our Resilience Hub pilot in that they're giving us a year to formulate those plans and then decide what we'd really like to go for um, in terms of our funding requests. Does that help, Gabe? Yeah, that helps a lot. I mean, I know there's a lot of, you know, red tape, but it it sounded like, hey, you got a bunch of holes to jump through to do this, but I, I wanted to double check on that, so thank you. Um, and if you're confused, like, that's sort of par for the course right now. Like, it's a new program, it's not existed before, so we can't look at the way it was done in the past. And I can say I went through roughly a half dozen webinars and convenings of sustainability leaders before I really had my arms around it. So I think it's just gonna be a learning curve for all of us, but that uh, there's no reason to wait and see. We may as well go for it in, while we're learning. It's, it truly is, I think, a, a once-in-a-generation opportunity. Yeah, it, it sounds like it, and thanks for staying on top of that, because, yeah. yeah, I can't imagine sifting through some of that, that paperwork. All right, well, barring any other questions, we look forward to keeping you updated on this process and uh, hopefully before long, we'll get everyone engaged in um, working on the PCAP, which is exciting. All right, and that takes us into a recap and confirmation of the next meeting time. which I could do, which is <laughs> <laughs> scheduled for Monday, August 7th at 3.30 here. Okay. And for actionable items I have, I'm going to um, include the table of PCAP and CCAP requirements in the next agenda packet. Am I missing anything else? All right. You said we can't buy solar panels. Can we buy a nuclear reactor? <laughs> what are you gonna do with all that waste? <laughs> I guess that's a no. I don't know that you want a million dollar nuclear reactor. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanna like say, we're gonna debate this first, right? Before we start putting nuclear reactors on any action plans. <laughs> I want a larger discussion. A robust debate, yes. 
<laughs> and we're not the final word either. Like for the CCAP especially, we're going to have a lot of community engagement. So That's lest you mean. think the climate future of the entire community rests on your shoulders alone, <laughs> um, we're really looking uh, for your help in shaping the conversation that we're going to have more broadly with the community as a whole. If there's nothing else, I will gladly accept a motion to adjourn. Krieger, motion, I have motion to adjourn. <laughs> Solman, second. All in favor. Aye. 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 We'll see you August 7th.